Good morning to all of you, and I greet you this morning in the precious name of Jesus. Welcome back, Katrina. Good to see you back from the Dominican. And welcome to all the visitors as well. Glad that you could be here. Um, interesting Sunday school lesson. Thank you, Stan, for teaching the men's class. We're in a society that says what's mine is mine. And not only that, we've become a society that says what you got is going to be mine. Somehow, welfare has, has taught us that somebody else has it. Name it and claim it. Go after it. Um, it's a sad situation that I need to work against. How do I know that I am a Christian? If someone would come to you and say, how do you know that you're a Christian? What would you say? A lot of times we switch to terminology. And what I want to try to get across into our minds today is to understand Christianity is more than just a terminology thing of saying I am terminology born again. Turn to John chapter 15. I am surrendered. I am saved. I have experienced salvation. Is that really proof that you're that you're a Christian, a Christ follower, ready for eternity? John 15 doesn't have any of these words in it. Born again, surrendered, saved, or repented. But it speaks of something that is of life and death, eternal life or eternal death importance. I listened to a sermon by John Berceau. It's been a couple of weeks, probably a month or so. And I was inspired to consider this passage deeply. A lot of times... We, we get away from the truth that Jesus is teaching here. When Jesus comes, he, He's not just expecting a terminology factor that's real in His people. He's, he's going to come and He's going to be looking for fruit. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, He taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, He purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean or purged through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. There's a fact. The same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples." As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends." Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant 
knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. In the book of John, we have six I am's before this passage here. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now he comes to the seventh I am. I am, verse 5, I am the vine. And because he is the vine, any branch that is connected into his life will result in fruit. That is always a, it's a fact. It's just the way it is. Just as he is a resurrection and a life, and because he is, there will be a result for that. There will be a result because he is a resurrection and a life. There also will be a result because he is the vine and we're connected to him. Always a result. This is an incredible privilege. Jesus says, abide in me. Abiding doesn't mean it produces a special feeling. Abiding means continuing in fellowship with. (coughs) Excuse me. Everyone who continues in fellowship with produces a special fruit. It's not about a special feeling. It's about a special fruit that will be there if we abide in the vine, Jesus Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus, this is amazing. If you grasp the, the mercy of Him allowing us as people who have failed and have rejected His way and His plan and His commandments, and yet He says, come to Me. Repent and come and abide in Me. We're a people who need so much pruning. And the more I study this, the more I realize how much pruning we need as His people. And yet He in His mercy says, Abide in Me. We're ready to chop people off pretty quick. But He says, Abide in Me. What an incredible privilege we have. And I like the picture that he presents here. We have the privilege of having the joy that Jesus had. Verse 11 stood out to me in a new way. It says, These things have I spoken unto you of of abiding in Him, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Uh, Can you imagine the joy that Jesus had while He lived on earth? It probably resembled how a lot of you look today, right? The, The joy that is just... Uh, it, it's it's peace. It, it's just there's a reason for a living. There, there's a joy in my life. We give really bad impressions of this. I'll, I'll just be honest. All of us do. Somebody wrote me a letter at the store and said, "Cheer up, you're beautiful." And I was like, "Thanks." <laughs> Not sure about the cheer up or the beautiful. Hey, we can't give a bad impression on this. If we're abiding in Him, He says that they can have my Jesus' own personal joy in them. 
and, and not an ounce and not three quarter, that their joy can be full of that. That is fulfillment. That, that is life. That, that's the enjoyment of the Christian life. Um, Satan the deceiver tries to, to tempt us with the promises of joy, of love, of contentment, of fulfillment. All of these things that Jesus says, I am, Satan tries to deceive us in painting a picture of joy that you can experience in the world. Joy that you can experience outside of the Word of God. <coughs> if I was to draw you a picture of what Satan's offer is, I'm not an artist, but I would draw a picture of a, a large roller coaster that has thrills and hills and ones that would give you chills and make you scream with excitement. A roller coaster that's painted in incredible, vibrant colors. Flashing lights, LED lights, tunnels, the whole nine yards. If you want fulfillment, if you want excitement in life, if you want something to live for, ride this roller coaster. But on the roller coaster, at the highest point of the thrill, at the greatest moment of ecstasy, the roller coaster flies off the track every time. Right at the incredible point. When you think, now this is real living. It flies off the track every time. You can research any person that has ridden that roller coaster of Satan. It is always the same of emptiness, even though they have the wealth at their fingertips. They can have what they would, most people would say, wow, they would have to be happy with what they have going. And yet at the highest moment of ecstasy, they say, Where's my depression pills? This is just not lining up. The roller coaster flies off the track at the highest point of ecstasy. But that's not who Jesus is. There's something that is real. And the result will be real every time. I believe we live in a time where, and it's affecting us, that we believe that a Christ, being a Christian means having a right theology, understanding four laws of salvation, or four steps, or a Roman's road. Or, and I'm not taking away the meaning and the importance of understanding Scripture. However, if, if Christianity has just come to a theology that I know how to answer when I'm called upon, there's something wrong. And what it has been in the past is what it is today. He is looking for spiritual fruit in my life. And that fruit will always be there if I abide in Him. No exception. You get somebody who is, let's just say they're twisted. Uh, They get angry. It doesn't take a lot of smarties to figure out have you been spending your time in the Lord? Are you abiding in Christ? Well, he's just too rushed. You know the result. It's the same result. Yeah, but hey, I, he knows the four laws of salvation. He, he knows all there is to know. And yet he can gossip about people, but he's still a Christian. How's that work? That doesn't work. The fruit's bad. 
This is what Jesus said to Israel. Jesus speaking to Israel, he said, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you. Very sobering. And given to a nation having the fruits thereof. Fruit is incredibly important. It is life and death important. Even more than the theology that we can come up with, if we don't have the fruit that Jesus Christ, that the Father is looking for, we're in trouble. Now the Pharisees had an incredible theology, and I was meditating on this this morning. Think about the Pharisees' theology. They, they preached holiness. They looked for a, a deliverer. Okay? They absolutely believed a deliverer was coming to deliver the nation. Okay, so you preach holiness, you're looking for a deliverer. That's as good as it gets in the Old Testament, right? Was there something more? There was a problem. The fruit of their life was awful. It was called hypocrisy. When they came to John, John said, you, you bunch of snakes. Why did he say that? Bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Verse 9. As a father hath loved me, so have I loved ye. You continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. I like to call this the nutrition of the vine. Going to the branches, the nutrition of the vine. Look at these three things. Jesus' love. Jesus' words and the joy of Jesus. The joy in Christ. Those nutrients come when we are abiding in Him. The love of Christ, the words of Christ become part of us. Not We have the Bible memorized really good, but that doesn't mean the Word of God is abiding in us. When it is abiding in us means there is a connection that it has doing something. There's something real about it. I can have it memorized, thou shalt not commit adultery, and yet if I'm looking at ladies to lust after them, the Word of God is not abiding in me. There's just no way around it. I have it memorized. But here it's speaking about that Word of God is the nutrition of your life. And, And when we are abiding in Christ, there's nothing that beats picking up the Word of God and reading it. News is really boring and it's really repetitious. They will find somebody else who committed adultery. They will find somebody else who was in pornography that was high up that will get kicked out. They'll find something wrong about Trump again this week. So skip the news, read your Bible. I, I got that covered. I see a progression in these three nutrients that Jesus laid out. The love of Jesus, when we, when we experience the love of Jesus in our lives and flowing through us, we're, we'll abide in His commandments. That's verse 10. Or in His words that He has spoken. 
as we abide in the commands of Jesus. Verse 11. Those words that were spoken to us, then the joy is connected to that and the joy would be fully in us. These are resources that every branch will receive that is connected to the love of Jesus, the words of Jesus, and the joy of Jesus. It will always produce the same fruit. And it will be good fruit. The problem is, is branches get diseases in them. That affects the fruit. Did you ever taste fruit that was self-centeredness? Instead of Christ's love dwelling in them, there was a self-centeredness to their fruit? That is a disease. What about opinion instead of God's commands? Uh, uh, we need this one. It's so easy to get a bloated mind of what I think should be done to the point where it's a problem. It gets in the way of me actually following God's commands. And I'm equating the two. And the word joy, when joy is reaching our lives, it's so easy to allow the disease of frustration to get in there and spoil the fruit. It is so easy. I I don't know of anyone sitting here that hasn't been frustrated. When we're frustrated, we don't produce real good fruit. That's just the obvious. But this is the problem. If, if I would say, hey, you're frustrated. This isn't good. You know what a lot of us say? No, I'm not. No, you're angry. No, I'm not. I was tense, but that's how I get in these situations. <clears throat> and that's why I ask this question. Can we tell if we have good fruit or is that up to others? Can you tell if you have good fruit or is that up to others? Can people help us understand a need for more pruning or are we our best judge of that? Can we tell if we have good fruit? Or is that up to others? That's a really important question. This, let's just stick with the obvious to start out. You ever see a branch eat its own fruit? That would be quite a scene. Never happened. The the fruit is not eaten by the branch, alright? The fruit is there for the vine dresser and for others to enjoy. That's a fact of life. <clears throat> so if the vine dresser comes and checks the fruit and he says, well, that's got kind of a bitter taste to it, and he convicts you of something that's wrong in your life, that's step one. He's the best judge. He knows. He's tasting the fruit of your life. And that's when God the Father says, this isn't right. But there's a second thing. Others sample the fruit. The fruit of our life. And they taste bitterness. They taste beauty. They can taste frustration. And they can look at us and say, this doesn't taste right. And we say, no, it's just fine. Well, who had to taste it? 
So a parent blows up in anger. He's frustrated. I realize I got frustrated. No, you got angry. And that's wrong. That needs pruned. Well, that's just... It's okay under the circumstances, but remember, who has to eat the fruit? Who's tasting, wow, this is not a good situation here. It's just not good. Are you tasting that or are they tasting that? We, we so easily dismiss what others are trying to speak into our life of how our fruit tastes. We so easily dismiss that. I believe that's wrong. Other ones are the, are the ones who others are the ones who have to eat the fruit of our life. Does it taste bitter to them? It's a problem with the fruit. See, there's a lot of times we can picture a red delicious apple, and everybody else, as they are around us, are picturing a sour crab apple. Our perspective, their perspective. Only problem is they have to eat it. We don't have to eat it. We can become a type of people so easily that when someone offers a correction to our fruit of our life, someone says it tastes bitter, we become, hey, look, it's all right. I can have the best of discipline. I can have the best of intentions. But if I am deceived and I am not considering seriously the input of anyone who tastes bitterness in the fruit of my life, I I can go down the path way too quick that way. I understand there's two rules, two sides of the coin here. What did the Pharisees think about Jesus? They hated the fruit that Jesus produced. They said, this is bitter, we hate it. And hypocrites always have a bitter taste in their mouth. Always, always, always. Hypocrites always have a bitter taste in their mouth. This is what the Lord spoke to Israel through Hosea. You don't need to turn there. It's just two phrases. Hosea 10 verse 1 says, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. As I meditate on that, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. God is saying this has become worthless. Absolutely worthless. He, he brings fruit unto Himself. He no longer considers what God is saying about His fruit. He no longer considers what others are saying about... That's, that's not good. It's just for Himself. That's all it is. Old and young, I believe we can so easily fall prey to this. <clears throat> when I respond, when you respond, when you get uptight, someone offers... Correction. Understand, we're we're trying to get the fruit unto eternal life. We're not trying to to just go back, well, I know the four laws of salvation and, and I've been in the church member for 50 years. I've seen older men wipe their church out. Wipe them out because of bad fruit in their life. They were speaking evil of others. They were domineering. They were whatever. 
And how you see congregations come apart even though they have a resume, even though they have understanding. But the fruit was bitter. But they wouldn't listen to anybody say, that doesn't taste right. And you and me can be in the same spot. In our own family, in our own church. I wonder one other thing here. As they were walking by a vine, I would say, a vineyard, um, and Jesus was saying, disciples, look, every branch that beareth fruit, He purges it. Everyone. And no exception. If, if there's one that's bearing fruit, it's going to get purged. So the Father is going to come, taste the fruit, and say, this needs tweak. Others are going to come and say, you know, this didn't taste quite right. This needs purged. Um, estimate, how much do you guess if I would be coming to a grape arbor? And I found it interesting. In West Virginia, they had a lot of arbors. And, and it was neat. They would be growing grapes. And what do you estimate if you would come in to the arbor and you would look up at all these branches over the arbor and your job was to prune it how much of those branches would be cut away? Anybody want to guess? That's a low number. 70 to 90%. Now, understand what Jesus is saying to the disciples right in the practical way. 70 to 90 percent of the things that you do, you need pruned. They need tweaked. 70 to 90 percent. So, 10 to 20 percent of the things that you did in the last year, hey, we got something good growing there. But 90 percent of what you did do, really, it could be pruned, it could be improved upon. Well, Jesus, don't you just love me that I produce some good fruit? We don't understand anything about a vine dresser if we get that idea. He says, I want to produce abundant fruit. Why is this? That my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. 70 to 90% of what you do probably needs carved on. Are you alright with me saying that? Um, are you alright with your wife saying that? Are you alright with your husband saying that? Are you alright with God saying that? How about, is it okay if your children say, Dad, 70 to 90%. The question that we're trying to address is can we tell if we have good fruit or is that up to others? It's a careful question. Others have to taste it. We can have the best of intentions, but they still have to taste it. And so it's very important for us to be workable, to be broken, to be repentant when we're falling short. Now, one more thing that I would like to cover. I want to think about the word fruit. Turn to Romans chapter 1. What is a good fruit for a Christian? What does it mean when it says a Christian will bring forth fruit? Does that mean he will win souls? That's what I've heard 
growing up, somebody who's producing fruit, will be winning souls or reproducing after themselves. Does it mean the fruit of the Spirit? I've heard that. Someone who is a Christian bearing fruit, it's going to be winning souls or it's going to be producing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, that list. What is good fruit for a Christian? It's a very important question because if Jesus is coming and looking for this fruit, and you say, well, I'm sorry, I didn't know what it was. That's not going to leave us in a real good light. We want to know what He expects of His people. Understand this, though. It's not just about focusing on the fruit and somehow tweaking the fruit to come out right. It all is based upon abiding in Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Connected there. That's what will bring forth this fruit. Is winning souls what it means to bring forth fruit? There's a missionary to Africa that I was... I know his family. Um, don't know him real well. But he could preach an evangelistic message. 20 to 50 to 70 people would be saved many, many nights. Very effective. The same preacher would commit adultery multiple times in a week. Hey, listen. If, if the fruit that he's looking for is just winning souls, he's got it. If winning souls is the only criteria of this fruit, this man's okay. There's nobody that can argue that. What about if the fruit that he's looking for is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Well, let's just focus on perfecting the fruit of the Spirit then. We'll all commit ourselves... uh, uh, I'm really good at monastery. Sorry, I'm really good at long-suffering if I'm in a monastery by myself. Anybody agree with that? I'm not real good at long-suffering if somebody's ahead of me and I'm in a hurry and they're slowing down and I'm wanting to speed up. So, if the only fruit that we have to deal with to focus on is the fruit of the Spirit, I think we should buy the monastery over on Highway E and work on love when there's not many people to love and don't have orange and purple hair and all these weird things. And joy. I can be joyful if nobody crosses my path. Long-suffering. We can get this. We can do this. But let's get a monastery and we'll get it. Is the fruit giving to others? That's what we heard this morning. Very important lesson. A Christian who lives generously instead of selfishly. What did Jesus tell the rich man? He said, sell what you have and give. And what was the rich man's question? How can I inherit eternal life? Sell what you have and give. Romans 1. Let's look at these. What is the fruit that he's looking for? Romans 1 verse 13. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am both debtor, sorry, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. And this is the reason he would like to come and and this is the fruit that he can bring. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Friends, fruit is winning souls to Jesus Christ. Fruit is propagating the gospel. That's a natural 
That's a natural thing that will be found in the fruit that Jesus is looking for if we're abiding in Jesus Christ. Turn to Romans chapter 6. One aspect, first aspect of the fruit is winning souls. Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the fruit of holiness. Being made free from sin, you have this fruit unto holiness. Turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans just about covers all of them here. We have the fruit of winning souls to Jesus Christ. We have the fruit of holiness. And Romans chapter 15, verse 26, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things or money things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed them to this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. So they were a gift that they were bringing, a gift of money that they were bringing to people in Jerusalem who were living in hard times like we heard about today. So here's the fruit of giving. We have the fruit of winning souls, the fruit of holiness, the fruit of giving. And the last one, you know, Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the flesh, anger, wrath, malice, and it goes through all those can't quote them right now. But then it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and the list goes on. I look at these things here. Fruit of winning souls, holiness, giving, and the fruit of the Spirit. And now I read verse 8 and it says, Herein my Father is glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. When someone's connected to the vine, and I mean abiding in Jesus Christ, not just for what other people are looking for, um, not just to impress someone else, not just because he has to, but someone who is actually abiding in Jesus Christ, these things will be coming out of their life. They will be looking, not ashamedly bringing up the name of Jesus in conversations in the week. They are going to look forward to the opportunity. I would love you to meet my friend Jesus. That's when we abide in Him. It's it's a fruit that comes out of it. Winning souls. Holiness. It it is so important. Giving. Not saying, I have worked for this. It's mine. It's, It's the Lord's. Giving. Living in the fruit of the Spirit. Now this is what I would like to suggest. I believe churches are divided many times because a group or an individual become obsessed with one aspect of the fruit. Welcome to disagree with me. I'm stepping out from my observation. A person becomes obsessed with one aspect of the fruit. So obsessed with personal holiness, they ignore the call of Jesus, Go ye therefore. So obsessed with personal holiness, that they are impatient with others who don't measure up. So obsessed with witnessing, they're not even living a holy life. 
When we get obsessed with one of the fruits and somehow say, no, that is it. Actually, we're trying to grow the wrong way. We're trying to focus on the fruit and say, come, come, go, go, go. Actually, Jesus is saying, no, look, look back. If you abide in Me, this is how it's going to look. There's people that are going to be witnessing for Jesus Christ. Not obsessed with it. Not, not to try to prove that they're more spiritual. Because that's what happens when we become obsessed with the fruit. See, I'm more spiritual than Him because see how I do this and He doesn't do that as well? If we become obsessed, I, I see so much divisions coming when we become that way. If we become obsessed with giving, we can feel that that covers the problem I have in witnessing. I don't need to speak of Jesus in conversation. I give money to CAM. I give money to CAM billboard evangelism. I don't need to. I can be lazy. What's the problem? I'm not excited about Jesus. I don't have the joy of Christ in my life. I, I, I'm embarrassed to speak His name. And it always comes out in the fruit. Always. When I lack in my connection, it always is exposed in the fruit. <clears throat> I believe if an individual crosses off one of these is unnecessary, arguing about its importance, it's a deeper issue than having a wrong understanding. It's, a, it's an issue of being willing to abide in Jesus Christ and His Word and His life. When that happens... It says, every branch in me bears fruit. No exception. Yeah, but you know the environment i got to live in? I mean, when you say, I have to love everybody, do you know the environment I have to live in? Do you know the environment that would be in Syria as, as you would need to be witness for Jesus Christ? Uh, is it about environment or is it about connection? You know what's amazing is you look at the Christians in Syria, the ones who are connected to Jesus Christ, and, and there's no struggle about saying, oh wow, if we'd be in a better environment, we could actually stand up and say, I'm, an, I'm with the Nazarene. They're the people who say, I'm with the Nazarene. And we people who are free and, and don't, aren't persecuted, we're, we're, how can I dress that I can melt into the background? And it's not about dress. It's a much deeper issue than any of that. It's, am I abiding in Christ that the joy that He has flowing through the vine into the branch is real in my life? When we abide in Jesus Christ, I truly believe the nutrients that come through the vine into the branch are the love of Christ, the joy of Christ, and the Word of Christ, those nutrients will bring nourishment. And that nourishment will always produce that fruit of winning souls, holiness, giving, and living a Spirit-filled life. Living the fruit of the Spirit. I don't want to just focus on one. I want to focus on abiding in Jesus Christ. And if I fail in one, you're the ones that have to taste it. You're the ones that need to correct me. And that's what I want to renew again to be open to that pruding even up to 90% of what I say and what I do. I'm willing to take correction with. Why? When Jesus comes, I don't want to be a branch with one little scrawny grape hanging from the end of it. 
I want him to say, well done. You brought forth fruit unto eternal life. And there's many others who were able to eat of the fruit of your life. And it gave them hope that there's a reason to live. There's a joy greater than that roller coaster that flies off at its highest point of ecstasy. There's a reason for living. If you're able to, this morning, would you kneel for prayer?